This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday. Wow. February 27th, 2021. When did we start doing this on Saturdays? I don't remember. Like five years ago? Six? Saturdays. It's always been on Saturdays in my mind. We'll have to go so back long. into the archives. Can you believe we've been doing this for so long? That sounds like work, man. It does sound like work. I'm okay with not knowing in this case. <laughs> there are just some things that, like, you can put a lot of work in to accomplish, but what you accomplish is so small that, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, I think I could do all that work and accomplish something bigger <laughs> or accomplish something smaller that's more uh, more important to my life. Get ready for a uh, big boom. Uh, that's what I... Whoa, big boom. What was that? That was me shutting the door. <laughs> that's it. Plebs <laughs> out. I'm using that's a what I was set of say. mics. Go ahead. That's what I was going to say about uh, the work. Maybe uh, it may look small, but what's important is wh what it means to you. And uh, I love doing this show, man. Yeah, see, and, and that's something completely different from going back and <laughs> listening to all the early episodes again. I might be embarrassed. I might die of cringe. <laughs> now, see, we, uh, speaking of changing the subject, we, uh, I got some new microphones I've been doing the show with for the last few months. And when I first started using them exclusively, I was worried they weren't very good. I was worried, in fact, that they wouldn't pick up my voice for the show. And then last night we figured out as we were playing uh, Traveler, we figured out that actually they can pick up a child squalling from all the way across the house. <laughs> so my concerns about the uh, acuity uh, or quality of the microphones have been assuaged, which is why I had to shut the door just in case something like that happens again. <laughs> so we're not broadcasting it. Because, you know, Apparently, they pick up a lot more than I was aware of. I'm done. You're done. I was pausing to allow you to say something. Because your friends tell say. you that you should more, you should talk more on the show. 
Is that what they say? It's true. It's true. That was your week. Those guys, that, that my week, my week was pretty good. Nice and relaxing. Get back to the regular grind. Back to gaming. Um, I, I did a little bit of reading, which I guess we'll talk about later today. And I have nothing special to report other than that. Sorry to say. Have I put you to sleep yet? Are they still rioting in Seattle? <laughs> I don't know. The leftists get bored all the time and start doing stuff. No, I don't think I don't think Seattle's got a big uh, riot right now. Okay. It's been. I think Portland might still be in on fire. But what you gonna do? Yeah, that's that's just Portland now. I think it's like a tourist well, you know- attraction now. They take them around the uh, Antifa riot in uh, in little trolley cars. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of speaking of Seattle and and mayhem, are you familiar with May Day? Uh, May the fifth. It's a communist holiday. So that's right. And every year, last year was a special exception, but every year the communists and the leftists and the hipsters and whatever, they get so bored, they basically throw a big party slash riot in Seattle. Okay. There's there's always some sort of crazy happening in Seattle. Sometimes, often it gets a little hairy or violent or whatever businesses know just to take the weekend off that sort of thing it's it's just a regular occurrence in downtown seattle for a small group of people to just i don't know if they're venting letting off steam or or what i or they really think they're agitating for some great cause whatever but yeah sometimes once a year and of course 2020 was different with the with the uh there's the BLM riots, which turned into massive looting over here, and uh, the frustration with COVID lockdowns. There was a lot of there was a lot of May days. <laughs> Does the rain in Seattle help with the fires? I don't know. I guess uh, rain in Seattle help with the fires? No, not really. It's always a drizzle. But fire isn't a huge problem in Seattle for, what, 100 years? There's a big fire that took out all of downtown, and you can see the remnants in the underground tour. Did you know that they built a downtown Seattle on top of downtown Seattle? Well, I did, but... Yeah, it's great. There's uh, the, the downtown was basically below sea level, and it burned in fire, which may or may not have been arson. And... Uh, and so they they said screw it we can't we can't rebuild this it's you know we don't want the uh, Puget Sound washing up on our streets again literally pushing sewage back up the pipes so they just filled it in covered it over and there's still sections of street and like s- sub basements of buildings that were the original first floor of the building that are underground you can go down and see it 
It's pretty neat history. And uh, evidence, if you're the if you're the judgmental type, evidence that Seattle City planning has always been done by Neanderthals. Um, Dad, gum. My memory is going. No, it's not. It's my sleep that's gone, and it's impaired <laughs> my memory. My insomnia has basically done like, you know, in uh, professional wrestling where the guy would pick somebody up and carry him to the top of the rope and then jump off the rope with the other dude and land on him on the mat. Yes. They call that a TNT slam or something. That is what my insomnia has done to my memory. So I was going to ask something, but I forgot. Now it doesn't matter because I don't care. Now it doesn't matter. Yep. I ran right off caring. <laughs> the time it took me to get out that metaphor, uh, that was the, the time it took me to run out of caring. So what's today's show about? Today's show? Well, you told me that you read some weird stuff, and I read a little bit of weird stuff, and so I thought we'd talk about all the strange stuff we read. Chat wants oh, to talk about chat wants to talk about Ravenloft in D and D. The weird stuff I read were called books, specifically ebooks, because I don't see the purpose. Of living a life where you don't have 800 paperbacks in your pocket at all times. Well, what even kind of life is that? I mean, how do you get through that? I'm just glad that came around before I died. <laughs> I would have been on amazing, my deathbed. I would have been on my deathbed looking at the wall. Surrounded by dozens of my family, my descendants, my children, my grandchildren. Surrounded by dozens of friends. I will have built an empire, a business empire. My name would be known worldwide. I would have built a legacy. That would stand for generations or centuries or longer. And if I didn't have an ebook reader with almost a thousand stories, thousand books in it, I would have felt unfulfilled and, and not known why. So you know, I just got to wonder, all these people who are addicted to paper, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not accusing them of being backwards-looking troglodytes who need to get with the modern times. 
That's oddly specific. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just wondering what they don't get about the thrill of walking around with a thousand books, any one of which you could pick up at any time and read. Plus, you know, if you've got a smartphone, internet, streaming movies, streaming TV shows, you know, whatever. I just, I... Now that this device has come into existence, I just don't see the purpose of not having one on hand. Well, call me an old fogey or a troglodyte. I just love having the, the feel of paper in my hands. Maybe it has to do so with you're the an- fact that I spend all day otherwise. Everything else I read is on a screen. I'd like to, when I want to read a story or something, I'd like to have the paper in front of me. You really, really like the feel of paper. So yeah. you're saying you're an arsonist. An arsonist? Yeah, that's what paper's for. Oh, I see. Fires. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's that's the great thing. I can I can burn all my books for warmth once I no longer need them. I'm going to take a digression on that because I was thinking about this again last week. They're sitting there, and this is in the day after tomorrow, right? Where they're burning books for warmth. And it's deep. And it's meaningful. And it's showing you what we're going to do if we don't change climate change. If those dark corporations aren't stopped. Here's the thing. They're sitting there, I believe, in the New York Public Library Burning books. Well, do you know what else they have right there in the New York Public Library? All around them. What else they had? Hmm. I don't know what. Have you seen that scene? Have you seen that movie? No. Tables and chairs. (laughs) perfectly good wooden furniture out of wood yes and if you can burn paper surely you can burn wood Is this one of those things that nobody... Uh... Nobody shooting that scene or viewing it later is going, hmm, you know what? I'm just looking at it. I'm like, I get you're heavy-handed. It, 
imagery. I really do. But just like your heavy-handed message is wrong, the scene in which it is in proves it's wrong. I shouldn't have yelled that loud. I strained my throat. I'm going to sound like Kermit the Frog the rest of the show. It ain't easy being green. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't easy being naturally dramatic either. And handsome. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, tell so me about these. So t- are you going to tell me about some of these ebooks that you read? Yes. I just thought it was hilarious every time I see that scene now and hear them pontificating. I was just sitting there. Uh, talking about how evil it is they're burning these books. And I'm like, lady, you are now behind the Arctic Circle in New York City. It doesn't matter anymore. In order to be warm, in order to get warm, you have to go down to Mexico. So unless someone is coming up here to pick up these books, or unless nobody south of the New Arctic Circle has those books, burning one particular copy doesn't matter. At this moment in time when you are literally freezing to death, right? I mean, you pick up one copy of a Stephen King book, and it says on the cover, Eleventy hajillion sold. And the New York Public Library has like 15 copies of this one book. Throwing it on the fire doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It's not symbolic of anything. It's just a book. That's not deep. That's not meaningful. That's just a square of paper of which there are apparently 11 hajillion more. (laughs) So, anyways, the particular books that I read, uh, There are three of them. There is Forgotten Ruin by Jason Onspock and Nick Cole, friends of the show. Oh. And it is not a Galaxy's Edge novel. I was about to ask. It is a brand new series in a brand new setting and it just came out on March 1st. I'll let you think about that for a sec. What just came out on March 1st? Daddy Warpy from the future. So uh So the book is scheduled to come out March 1st, but because of some 
shenanigans Amazon has recently been pulling, uh, yanking books uh, for political reasons, specifically books that are critical of the transgender movement, and especially those that are critical of children being transitioned. Uh, Amazon has yanked uh, at least three that I know. They have a new policy which says we don't yank anything we find to be hate speech or whatever. I could read you the exact policy, but uh, that would mean finding it. Um, suffice it to say that Amazon has been making some moves that I have been predicting for a while. And that casts a doubt. Uh, it's not a certainty that they're going to start yanking anything that's written by conservatives or religious people or um, that could be considered right-wing like Mill SF or whatever. But... It doesn't guarantee it, but it does cast a doubt over it. So uh, Anspach and Cole released the book early on their website, both as a way for you to support the authors because they get all of the income from the book if you buy it off their website, and as a way to try and get people to move over to buying books off their website and not Amazon. Uh, and I found out this a couple, I found out about this a couple of days after they did it. So I bought it and I read it and we're going to talk about it today. Um, another book I picked up and read is called Elsewhere by Dean R. Kuntz. Um, I'm sure those of you who lived through the horror novel craze of the 80s uh, or 90s or watched Clerks once or was it one of the it was one of the Clerks uh, sequels yo Affleck you were the bombing phantoms man <laughs> um You've heard of Dean Arcoots. He's written a lot of books. He's written a lot of really, really good books. Uh, and this is his, it may not be his actual technically latest, but it came out on October 6th of last year. So it's really damn recent. <laughs> if he had released another book between then and now, I would be very surprised. Um. And then I read an old book from the 50s, one of the first books released by Brian W. Aldis, uh, who went on to have a uh, successful career as a science fiction writer um, in the 50s and 60s and, and I believe 70s. Uh, it's a book called Hot House, uh, which is actually a fix-up 
And I'm going to talk about what fix-ups are when we talk about this book. So those are the three books I've read in the last week or two. And because I haven't seen any TV shows or movies to talk about, that's what we're doing today. Sounds good. What did you read? I read, uh, hate to say it, I only read a few short stories because books are long and they've got a lot of words. But I started catching up on my Skylar Hernstrom, so I read the first few stories in the Eye of Sonu, the collection of his Kursova stories. We've we've spoken with him on the show. We've talked about Kursova and Hernstrom before, but uh, I just want to remind everybody, as far as weird, moody, old school sort of fantasy, sword and planet kind of fiction. Skylar Hernstrom's the best. He's really one of, I think he's one of the uh, coolest, best new writers I've encountered so far. Now you can take that opinion with a grain of salt as I'm not a huge reader, but absolutely fantastic. So uh, was one of the stories the Ob Men? I haven't read that one. I don't, I don't have the book in front of me, so I don't know, but I, it's, it's really weird. It, it's got a post-apocalyptic setting to start with. And so you, you think you're getting one thing. And of course your protagonist leaves his village to enter a ruined city, you know, wasted from nuclear war and a thousand years of neglect. Right. Cool. If you've read Skylar Hernstrom before, you sort of what you should expect is a dark, moody kind of fiction. He loves that. I want to say it's got a John Carter vibe, but it's it's also a Conan vibe. Really, characters that don't speak much—they're dark and broody—and there's. The themes are really simple, and the but the action is brutal, and it gets to the point. And there's nothing there's nothing overtly complex about it. It's really simple fantasy fiction, and not like childish fairy tale simple. I just mean like he's telling a straightforward story. And it's fun. I don't know how better way. I don't know a better way to put it. Other than read it already. <laughs> That's all I have See, to say. Do you have any comments on like specific stories? Uh, specific stories. The first one was about Sonu leaving his village. And I think, is that the one with the Obman in it? There is a bit of a twist in the narrative in the middle that I was not expecting. Um, because he goes out into the wider world and goes into this ruined city. And 
ends up for you know to spoil the story a little bit he ends up going back to his village which i thought this was going to be the beginning of a you know a guy who's going to travel around this broken wasteland and encountering weird things and killing them and uh, he, it turned back and went back to the characters from the very beginning of the story and I, that was nice um i liked that oh i I want to move on because I just remembered another story that I read. Okay. A friend of the show, Brian Niemeyer, is getting ready to launch his next campaign for the next series of mech novels. And the backers from the last campaign just got a brand new short story that is sort of a tie-in bridges the gap between the two series and it, it it's got a couple of characters you've met before and, and introduces a new character and it's really good i think uh it's a short little action piece with uh, you know brian's typical very weird characters with uh with weird quirks and uh it was fun like it was short tight uh the action was quick and brutal and um there was never a moment i was left wondering what was happening or what would happen next it was just um i mean we've we've sort of said this over the years talking with brian and working with brian and and reading his stuff like this man improves his craft every new story uh and uh for fans of the mech for fans of the mech genre, or for fans of Xseed, uh, they're going to love it. Um, and I think it's it's one of his best short stories he's written so far. Um, but I'm not going to spoil that, because I'm a backer and you're not. But uh, we'll be looking out for his, his new campaign coming up soon, because uh, it's going to be build a mech season in the next month. Ooh. Oh, yeah? Are you Get doing your, another build a mech? Almost certainly. Almost certainly. I always wait a couple of weeks, let someone else get a chance. And if there's still a slot open, I'll, I'll take it and build a mech. I don't want to hog all the spotlight. All right. All right. Um, so is that, is that your entire review? That's it. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to spoil. All right. Let's see. I'll talk about Hot House first. Hot House first. Cause chronologically, it is. It's an old one, isn't it? That's We're going where. That's where I got the uh, art for the for the thumbnail for today's show was from Hot House. I saw a whole page full of well, it's when was it published? Sixty two. Was it published in sixty two? I think so. Okay. And let me tell you what all the, all the covers for Hot House are very very sixties, very seventies. The a fix up, which is what Hot House is. 
is when someone takes, uh, let's say they publish two novellas in the same setting with the same characters that are chronologically one after the other, but come out in two different issues of the same magazine, say Weird Tales, um, you know, maybe as much as two, three, four years apart. They take those two stories, those two novellas, and try to stitch them together and do enough rewriting and patching and editing and stuff to make them work as one long novel. And they publish it as a novel so people can buy it and have all the stories, you know, have both of those stories. Now, if you publish more of them in that same world consecutively with those same characters, maybe, maybe as a serial, so that characters keep on moving from one story to the next and getting a getting into successive um, quandaries like uh, the old movie serials for the Republic movie serials. Um, then you can you know go even longer and have five, six, seven, eight, maybe more stories that you stitch back together or stitched together into a, a novel. Whichever way you did it, however many pieces there were originally, it's all called a fix-up. Uh, the original um, Lensman novels, that is the first published Lensman novels were fix-ups of stories that had appeared in other venues. Um, and then he started writing actual novels later. So Hot House is a fix-up. And the question is, was this done well or was this done poorly? Oh, boy. Well... I Inquiring minds want to know. It's not hard to tell that it was a fix-up. Because every so often, a new situation will suddenly appear, and you'll get paragraphs of verbatim introductory text telling you about the world that is text you got sometimes as much as three or four pages ago. Oh, wow. They, they literally just copy-pasted and didn't do any editing at all? No, no, no. They didn't copy-paste because those are two different stories. Well, that's what and, I mean. Like they, they just they just pasted the the stories together without. Yeah. Oh boy. And so, when those stories are like two years apart, yeah, that's critical. You have to do that, and they're well done in that light. They're concise. 
to the point. They give you the information that was a surprise at the ending of the last story that sets up this next story. You know, it's good. It's well done and stuff. But as far as working as a novel, it just doesn't. Mm. Uh, or at least it's it's really repetitive. And if you didn't know what a fix-up was, you'd be confused as hell. Why are they telling me this thing that they've already told me three times before, once in the last four pages? It would make no sense. So... Now, Hot House came across my reading device for a specific reason. I first read it. I don't know if I read the whole thing or if I just read the first short story. But I first read it when I was either a teen or when I was like 10 or 11. Uh, And I've remembered it ever since then because you're cursed up through your early 20s, that everything you read up through your early 20s, you will remember for the rest of your life. Really? Yeah. Um, whereas a book that you've read like five or six months ago, you can remember that you've read it, you can remember the title, but you won't be able to recall details until someone reminds you. And then you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember that. Um, like 2001, A Space Odyssey, the Arthur C. Clarke book. I remember vividly the scene of, um, of the astronaut coming in through in his pod landing going into this room where all the containers of food are white and when he opens all of them even though they look different they look like a ordinary kitchen with boxes of cereal and cans of soup and uh you know bottle uh bottles of peanuts and stuff all they have in them are blue flakes um, that are glowing slightly, and that's what he eats. Um, I remember the eye of I ate this, and it's different than the movie, which was around Jupiter, but the book is around Saturn. Um, so yeah, those details, and I remembered all those details even when I forgot that that was 2001. I forgot the title. But I remembered all those details. I remember those details because I read the book when I was like nine. Um, So, yeah, your brain is real impressionable at that age. You have a high degree of what they call neuroplasticity. And you remember easily books that you read and also music that you hear and things like that. Uh, they will be with you for the rest of your life, um, barring accident. Uh, and some of it you lose. I'm not saying you have a, you know, perfect, uh, 
I'm not saying you have a perfect edictic memory. Um, but for me, for example, uh, I can't recite all the Dresden Files novels and what happened in them. I have to be reminded and be like, oh, yeah, okay, I remember that. Mm. Um, but once I remember it, I can talk about it. It's not like I've forgotten it. Um, it's just really weird. So I read this story of Hot House. Or maybe the novel. I don't recall. But I think based on what was familiar when I read the book, that it was just the story. Hot House is set millions of years in the future. I need to pick this up, don't I? Uh, we're running Sorry. out of time. Oh, we got plenty of time. Um, Tell me more about neuroplasticity. I mean, Hot House. <laughs> Uh, set on uh, an earth millions of years in the future. Um, and the earth is tidally locked to the sun. So one half is in perpetual day and one half is in perpetual night. Ooh. Plants have grown gargantuan. And human beings have shrunk to about a fifth of their size, although you don't find this out until way late in the book, which I think is like six or seven stories into uh, the series. And I think that might be a retcon for him to make some of the physics of the story he was telling work. Ah. Uh -huh. Um, but the entire light side of the earth that isn't like volcanic rock, uh, or rivers, big, broad rivers or ocean is covered by, uh, a giant banyan tree. Um, and all other life forms live in and around or underneath this tree. Nearly all other animal or insect species have died off. And so all life forms and all ecological niches have been filled with plants. Uh, plants which can move, um, if not mobile, if they're rooted in place, they're, they have tendrils which can move or leaves which can move uh, faster than, for instance, a Venus flytrap, um, but not quite as fast as animals. And humans in this world are an endangered species, although that term is never used in the book because it hadn't been invented yet in the 1950s, I don't believe. Which is when the stories were written, not when the fix-up was published. Um, and so, this small tribe of humans that we start the book out with um, 
has a has a settlement high in the middle layers of the banyan tree because to go low is to expose yourself to the horrors of the ground where many vicious and violent predator species live and also the horrors of the tips where a profusion of life that is uh, all hostile lives. And even there in the middle layers, which are the safest, life is uh, short and deadly. This one little girl, five years old, um, is helping the others repel something when she trips and gets stung by this nettle, originally a nettle that is now a life form that uses its uh, nettles, they paralyze prey. And so she gets paralyzed and slips off a leaf uh, and falls. And someone is going to rescue her, but the leaf turns out to be part of a carnivorous plant and it folds up around her and they just have to abandon her. So, and this is early in the book. I mean, this is like five, six pages into the book. I'm not spoiling anything. Um, and so she dies just like that, just that quick. Wow. They lose somebody from the tribe. Um, so that sounds like a great setting, like absolutely wild science fiction setting. It does sound like a great setting. I absolutely agree. On Unfortunately, all of the stories that Aldous published were about, they were travelogues more than anything else. And they were meant to show off the setting and explain the setting and explain how he tried to figure out how evolution got there hmm. or why evolution got there. And by the way, if you know anything about evolution in modern terms, like the modern theory of evolution, um, the fifties version is going to frustrate you because it won't, it's not the same. We've we've made advances in scientific knowledge since then, and you'll just have to accept that what they thought evolution was in the 1950s is not is not the current theory, and it's kind of bizarre. Um. So. I I struggled during a lot of the book with boredom oh, because a lot of things just weren't happening. Uh, 
It was the the, think, author, the author was busy imagining this crazy world and how it got there and forgot to tell a story. Yeah. What a shame. And the stories when he did tell them were even for this style of fiction um, and time period were slow. I've read other 50s science fiction and, and Brian Aldous in this series of stories was, was notably slower than his peers. Um, now I'm not saying it's bad. It's not poorly written. Um, he has a good sense of language and, you know, technically it's, it's well enough. Uh, he got better over time, but this book was definitely in the, you know, Campbell mold where it was a large part of it was pedagogical and not meant to draw the audience along or entertain them. Mm -hmm. It was meant to educate in science. Um, I did like a lot of it. A lot of the details he comes up with are genuinely inventive and interesting. Um, ants, or not ants, but uh, insects the surviving species have gotten bigger and more intelligent. Uh, so they have nearly human intelligence now. That's terrifying. Uh, so wasps, human size, human intelligence, termites, and, and wasps are utterly malevolent. Right, because they're wasps. Yeah. Termites. Uh, much larger. Uh, nearly human intelligence. And they're kind of... They're not out-and-out out allies with humans, but they're... Uh, benevolent neglect that is they don't bother humans at all for anything and you know they just leave humans alone and humans leave them alone so so you've got an, an interesting setting that didn't go anywhere with the story and the, the collection hothouse was very poorly put together. Yeah. And the ending of the final story just kind of abruptly ends. Without really actually being an ending at all. It just stopped. Well, we're going to do this. You go do that. See you never. <laughs> A 
literally because it's physically impossible after this. They split up. One group goes one way, one group goes the other way, and they'll never see each other again. And that's the end of the book and all the stories. What happens then? Use your imagination. Yeah. So... It sounds like I'm I'm it sounds like I'm being harsher than I mean to be. It's not a terrible book. Sure. But it's also not that good either. It does have a great set, uh, setting and the first story at least uh kept my attention when I was a young kid, so. It might be possible just to find out what the name of the first story is and go look it up in some anthology. Um, but yeah, I do love the setting. I think it's a great setting. So. Well, I'll, I'll remember to read just one or two of the stories and stay away from that book. What, uh, what else did you read? Uh, read elsewhere by Dean R. Koontz. Let's talk about Dean R. Koontz. That's, that's a famous name. I thought we only read crazy indie authors here. Tell me more. (laughs) Yeah, I know. He's he's traditionally published in everything. (laughs) World famous even. Dean R. Koontz. Uh, is now known as a thriller writer. It used to be known as a horror writer. In fact, back in the day, there were two big-name horror writers, Stephen King and Dean Arcoons. Reading his books were kind of like a detective novel. 